Mother and child, come with me. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Mm -hmm. Come together. Welcome back, listeners and L.A. Fems. That's Lower Alabama. You're listening to Fem South, a podcast produced in America's Deep South in a town on the coast of Mobile Bay. We are also a book club and local community dedicated to learning and discussing women's issues and women's rights in a place where feminism is still a dirty word, where feminism is a whisper behind closed doors. If you would like to learn more about us, visit our website at femsouth.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. If you would like to support us and get some FemSouth merch, check out our page on Patreon at www.patreon.com femsouth. I'm excited to introduce to you today a new member of our team, our events coordinator, and one of many new co-hosts, Jillian Rosandich. Jillian, why don't you tell our listeners a little something about yourself? Surely. I'm excited to be here. I have lived back in Alabama for about a year. I grew up in the area, but I've lived away for a long time. And the largest part of my adult career was working in media, so in movies and television. And I recently made the switch back to academia. So right now I'm a lecturer and I'm pursuing my doctorate in education. When I moved back, I knew I desperately needed a group like this, and I was honestly shocked to find out that one existed, I and mean, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, me too. So we're going to be talking about our first book, Kickstarting Our Study of Intersectional Feminism Over This Next Year, and our first book is Audre Lorde's Sister Outsider, which is a collection of her essays and speeches. So she was a black, lesbian, mother, poet, feminist, and activist. She was instrumental to second wave feminism, and some have even referred to her as the mother of intersectional feminism because she called on feminists to stop ignoring the differences inherent in race, class, ability, age, sexual identity, and non-Christian faiths, and instead to embrace difference to not be afraid to talk about difference and to tell our truths. For Audre Lorde, it was only through this recognition and a deep love for women could we build a true sisterhood that represented the full range of women's experiences. So that's just a little bit of an overview of Audre Lorde. And before Jillian and I get started talking about this book, we kind of really wanted to talk about what it was like to start having conversations about intersectional feminism in our area and what it's like to really start diving into issues of race and class. And also we want to define intersectional feminism for some of our listeners that maybe don't know what this term means or are unfamiliar. Jillian has prepared a really great discussion on intersectional feminism that I would like for her to read for us. Thank you, Lee. When I started reading Sister Outsider, every page was kind of a reckoning for me. And it honestly made me feel deeply uncomfortable to the point where I wanted to postpone recording this because it's a tough topic for two white women to sit in a room and discuss. And, you know, I think there's a larger intersectional and white feminism problem that we have in the United States and the South. And so the more I thought on it, I was like, let me just write something out um, that kind of covers our bases. And so for those of you that don't know, intersectionality explores in simple terms the many different ways people are left out of important parts of society, which can also be called being othered because of their differences from those in their society that hold power. 
So examples of this could be someone's gender, race, class, ability, sexual orientation, religion, and so on. And these things can be layered too. You can be othered by being both poor and gay or both disabled and a person of color, for example. And all of these different facets may shape someone's experience in a unique way. Intersectional feminists have used the theory over the years as a way to challenge the focus on the issues of white women of means, whether those means are education or money or social stature, you know, basically anything which would grant someone privilege in our society. And when the issues at the forefront of the feminist movement are the issues affecting those that already hold power and have a voice as much as a woman can, then other women who don't have that same power get left behind. And this notion of othered women getting left behind has been happening forever, since the dawn of time, but also during important moments of American civil rights and feminism. So take a moment and just think of the white abolitionists that fought to end slavery but didn't think freed slaves should have the right to vote, or of those women activists that marched for their rights in the 1960s but also participated in white flight. And that's why it's important for us to recognize that the white feminism problem that is still happening in the United States, and if we're being transparent within our own FemSouth group too, which kind of brings us to the elephant in the room, as we said, we're here to discuss the important work of Audre Lorde. But first, we need to offer a bit of context on where we are coming from. If you've never been to Alabama, particularly our area of Fairhope, right on the coast, then you may have some preconceived notions of what the Deep South looks like. However, Fairhope is an affluent and fairly progressive area. And what we lack is diversity. And that's not to say that there are not women of color or women of differing abilities or orientations or identities living here with us, but that there's not an existing fellowship of women that allows them to be part of the conversation. And the work we've done with Fem South has been a little bit complicit in not holding space for these women and doing our part to learn their stories. And that's something we're working on. And we mention this because we want to make clear that we're not the experts in the room on intersectionality, but rather we're just women trying to do better and learn. And we're weary of centering our own voices on the issue of intersectionality or engaging in performative allyship. But as we'll discuss in Audrey Lord's work, staying silent is not the solution either. So we hope you'll join us as we continue to educate ourselves and strive to do the work, so to speak. And as Nancy Berno says in Sister Outsider's introduction, Audrey Lord has information that I, a white woman who's lived most of my life in a middle-class heterosexual world, did not have information I could use and information I needed. So... Let's discuss some Audrey Lord. Thank you, Jillian. That was really well written. And I just want to add a few things to that. We do recognize that we have had thus far a problem in Fem South with it becoming an all white woman's feminist book club and group. But I, I think it's important to also note that for our area, our biggest first challenge has been getting women to even admit and talk about feminism in the first place and giving them a space to do so. And so we've just been happy to have any woman walk through the door of any of our events. But now as we're starting to build a community, we are definitely aware that our community is starting to become a certain a certain perspective, and we are trying to expand that perspective. And so if you have come to any of our events or if you've listened to any of our podcasts and felt like we lack inclusiveness of any one experience, what I'd like to offer is to join us because we can't offer a perspective that isn't a part of our group. And the more people that we can get on board with us that have various different perspectives, the more we can be the voice that we really want to be, which is an inclusive voice that represents all women in the South, not just one type of woman in the South. Absolutely. I think that's a nice segue into our first kind of discussion point with Audre Lorde. And so one of the first things I really wanted to talk about, though, was this idea of not staying silent, right? And I think this is a really good topic point coming out of our last month's discussion on women's anger and justifying women's anger and using anger as a source for change. Because to stay silent is to be complicit, right? This is something that Audre Lorde is really urging women to do is to speak up for our rights, but more importantly, 
to see ourselves connected to a larger sisterhood, a shared sisterhood, shared experience of oppression. And so she also talks about doing it in community and through community, which I think is really beautiful and important. I agree. I think she talks about silence in a few ways. And it's something that she says, you know, as women, we're kind of all guilty of it at different times. Even as a self-described warrior poet, as Lord called herself, she still mentioned about how there were certain things that she didn't feel sparked to speak out about with such a resoluteness until she thought she might have cancer. So essentially until her morality was threatened, there were things that that she didn't speak up on. And, and, and something she mentioned in that story, which was the transformation of silence into language and action, was that um, her quote was, I was going to die, if not sooner than later, whether or not I had ever spoken myself. My silence had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. That's a really powerful statement, if you think about it for a minute, because to be silent oftentimes is to be safe. Our silence can be a very safe place to exist. Um, you're not drawing attention to yourself. You're not making waves. And for women, that can mean a lot of things. I mean, think about the workplace. You know, women that speak up are often seen as a nag or as a bitch or as unlikable. And um, I think that's something that we touched on in our panel about women's anger, too. And so Audre Lorde's really kind of asking us to do a brave thing, and that's to speak up. And this is something that all women are doing. This is something that women that consider themselves progressives in academia are doing when they talk about um, their hesitancy to discuss black women's work and say, oh, well, how could I possibly teach something that I don't, you know, I, I don't know their experience. I'm not the expert on that subject. You know, I can't teach a, a black women's literature class. When if you think about it, as Audre Lorde points out, these women may have been teaching about the work of Plato or Shakespeare, you know, for years. And it's really, you know, to hear her phrase it that way, I'd never considered that. And it's women that are existing in this kind of capitalistic system that is in place in the United States. Women that think, you know, as long as they marry the right person and and they're, they're silent and they're sweet and they go with the flow, that they won't have problems, that their life will be easier. And so why on earth would we want to to speak up and put ourselves in a dangerous situation and open ourselves up for criticism? Right? Yeah, that's a good point. And I definitely want to talk about that because what are we asking women to do when we ask them to speak up? For some women, that's a real dangerous thing. And um, obviously, we don't want to shame any woman for, you know, choosing to be safe. For some women, it's a real physical threat in their home or in their workplace, a real threat of being fired. And of course, then that that bleeds into many different other areas of, you know, being able to take care of oneself and sustain one's livelihood. So there are real dangers in speaking up. The other part of that is, is when you do speak up, it really forces you to evaluate what it is you have to say and who you are and where you're coming from and, and how is it useful, you know? And that's hard for women to do too. I think there's a lot of work. There's a lot of reflection involved in that process. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of judgment, but we have to give space for women to go through the process because for some women speaking out is for the first time, it may be the first time that they've had to face their own opinions about things in a real way. And so I think we have to give space for that process because everybody is is basically just kind of, I mean, we all have blinders. Everybody has blinders. Everybody. I don't think there's anybody that can say that I am fully woke. I have no blinders, <laughs> right? We all have blinders. So it's up to us to do the work ourselves to try to figure out where they are and how we can how we can see more clearly and also to hold space and kindness while we watch other women do the same thing and help point out their blinders for them and we all have a collective conversation. I think that's really the challenge that she's talking about when she's talking about coming from a place of love of women 
because she expresses how difficult it was for her to speak her truth in different environments. She might be in an environment that was fully accepting accepting her her black womanhood, but on the other hand, not accepting her lesbianness. And so she was constantly adjusting herself depending on what group was more accepting of what. And so when she asked for us to not only speak out, but to do so in sisterhood, to speak our truth, she's asking for, first of all, us to be honest about who we are. And I think that's the best that we can offer is who we are and what our experiences are. Well, I wouldn't say that's the best, but that's at least a starting point for how we approach this coming out and being in the world and being in the conversation and, and being a part of this work to help end oppression for all people is to make sure that we're coming from a place of love. Right. Yeah. And I think when we remove the element of women speaking out in a way that could endanger them and we put it into a context that might look like one of our book club meetings, I think in that case, you see that women really want to be heard. And, you know, within our book club group, we might have women that are very academic. We have all ages. Our oldest members are in their 60s. Our youngest are in their early 20s different socioeconomic classes. And despite the differences in their stories, they they all have stories to tell. And I think meeting people where they're at is a big part of that. And that's how you are able to understand other people's experiences. And that's how you help grow that sense of community. Audre Lorde talks about how throughout her life, especially as an academic woman, and in a time where there probably weren't a lot of other women of of notoriety that were black academics. She was often called on to be the the voice of reason and the expert in the room. And sometimes it was because she was black and sometimes it was because she was a lesbian. And oftentimes those people only wanted her to speak to that specific part of her experience. And she kind of resented that because it it was asking her to ignore a part of who she fundamentally was. And so, you know, she says, I am my most whole and my most creative and I'm most able to thrive when I'm allowed to be all of me. And I think that's what we need to allow women space for is, you know, if we're in a room and someone's sharing their story and it's an experience that it is really hard for us to relate to or it's something we might not necessarily agree with, like we have to still allow space for that because that's their truth. And being able to quell our feelings of discomfort or our our immediate feelings to be reactionary, I think are really important. That's what we're really working on here with our book club and the community and some of the events that we hold in our community is bridging this gap between the feminist theory and like what it means to actually build community and have a group of women of all different ages and sexual orientations and races and experiences. I mean, even even within one group, there's a multitude of experiences. Um, what it actually means to create a space in person with these people and hear each other talk and hear each other ex- ex- share very personal experiences and opinions that we may not agree with. And so that's a part of, you know, doing the the groundwork, the grassroots effort that we're making here. And I think that really goes into the next point that Audre Lorde makes throughout many of the speeches and essays in this book is her theory of difference. Because oftentimes when we do collect in groups, women want to just say, oh, we all have shared experiences. Let's ignore our differences. Let's not talk about that. And that's Audre Lorde is saying there really is no real sisterhood in the sense that we are all the same. And it's not useful to even have that pretense. What is useful, what is valuable is recognizing that we're all different and talking about those differences and using those differences to create unity through diversity. I like this quote that Audre Lorde has on difference. She says, Difference is that raw and powerful connection from which our personal power is forged. As women, we've been taught either to ignore our differences or to view them as causes for separation and suspicion rather than forces for change. Without community, there is no liberation. Only the most vulnerable and temporary armistice between an individual and her oppression. But community must not mean a shedding of our differences, 
nor the pathetic pretense that these differences do not exist. So what is Audre Lorde saying here? She's saying, let's all stop pretending that we're the same person when we're in the room. And I think this is something that as white women trying to dip their toes into the water of intersectionality are afraid of. They're afraid to have these like really frank conversations of you're a black woman, you're an Asian woman. And because of that, your life experiences have probably been different than mine as a white woman. And that can be a super uncomfortable conversation to have, right? I think where we get into problems is when we is when we make assumptions of somebody's difference before they're even allowed to speak about who they are. And we've seen that a few times in our in our book club discussions as well. So I think that we have to be very careful when we are dealing with difference that we don't immediately assign a specific experience to someone based on our perception of what their difference must be. We have to just let people talk. And when they talk, then we say, oh, okay, now I know. Now I see something. Now I learned something that I didn't know before. And I, how can I help you? How can we help each other? How is this a part of the larger picture? If we ignore difference, again, it's like we all have blinders we're operating from. It is the difference that allows us to see and let take those blinders off piece by piece by piece. Each person that we meet, each new story that we hear is a removal of one piece of the blinder that we all carry. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. And I think that's a good point. I think that um, it's the assumption that people that are different than us might be marginalized or um, and that's when you start to fall into that kind of like white savior territory. Yes. And come from a place of privilege. Like, I think it's also more than just, you know, saying, all right, I've got you in the room and now you have space to talk. And that's all I need to give you for this to be a fruitful conversation. And I don't necessarily have the right answer on how to for how those conversations need to go. And hopefully that's something that as we move to be more intersectional, you know, we can kind of figure out as we go along. But it's like as white women or as people that hold a position of power, we can't rely on on women to do the work of educating us on what their issues are. And we need to be going out into these communities and and asking and trying to identify what their needs are and asking them what their needs are and helping them to the best of our ability. And this is something Audre Lorde talks about is like, she's experienced and keep in mind, she died in 1992. So this is not necessarily a new conversation. I think we feel like this is something that's become more prevalent in the last few years as we've gotten, quote unquote, more PC. But this is not a new conversation. And Audre Lorde was saying, like, even when dealing with educated white women, every time one of them gets a whim that they want to be educated on something or they suddenly want to be more progressive, they come to me and want me to educate them Mm -hmm. and tell them how to do that. And I, I think that's what I'm saying is a problem. And that's why women that hold the power and the privilege in a society always need to be the ones that are doing the heavy lifting. And that's not an attack on white women. I just think it's the truth. If we want to signal boost um, the experiences of these women and do better to understand them, we need to be going to them, to their communities and seeing what those issues are, not asking them to explain to us why those issues are important or why intersectionality is important, even in a broader sense. We're talking a lot about black women specifically because we're located in the deep South. And I think you can't talk about the deep South as a concept without thinking about how black and white, quite literally, the history is. But it's not just race that is an important part of intersectionality that we should be considering. I know um, in Alabama, we recently, they tried to pass an abortion ban. It was House Bill 316. And that would disproportionately affect poor women, women that lived in rural counties where they don't have great labor and delivery. They don't have doctors that are willing to move to that area to provide pre and postnatal care. And so these are these are women that are living in rural, poor communities in Alabama. I mean, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we live in kind of a weird little microcosm of Alabama. We live in an affluent and progressive 
wouldn't quite say we're a blue dot, but we have a, a lot of more liberal folks down here. But that's not the reality for most of the rest of the state. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a great place to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about Audrey Lord and her book, Sister Outsider. Sisters young and old, now we see. Let's all come together. Welcome back. You're listening to Fem South Podcast. We are a podcast produced in the South, dedicated to educating and supporting women in the South to be the change they want to see in the world. I'm here with Jillian Rosandich, our new Fem South events coordinator and co-host, and we're going to continue talking about Audre Lord. So talking about diversity and the need for diversity and to hold difference in kindness and to recognize difference as a powerful force for change enables us to also really become aware of and exposed to so many different cultures, perspectives. And the other problem that we have here doesn't just involve race, it involves religion and how intertwined those two are is evident because we have a particular set of feminine archetypes that don't reflect women of color or other cultures or other religions. We do have a lot of archetypes about black women, but they're created by white men. And it's the mammy, like you think of the mammy from Gone with the Wind, the Jezebel, who's kind of a harlot that's going to seduce your man. So it's either like the whore or the virgin or someone who's completely not sexual at all and is just a mother-like figure, the mammy. And I think that Audre Lorde's archetype of the great mother, the black mother, kind of turns the mammy stereotype on its head and it kind of reclaims the power of Mother Africa, of the cradle of creation from which we all stem. Yes, this one really resonated with me a lot because we've been talking about in some of our panel discussions and some of our other presentations, the fragmentation of the goddess. And we haven't been including in those discussions goddesses from other cultures. We've kind of been rehashing a similar white European tradition and speaking of it in those terms. But when I read her discussion about the black goddess and then started looking up more information about goddesses in African cultures and just seeing like the plethora of goddesses in, in Africa alone that we don't see reflected in our spiritual practices and in our communities here. And for me, that's a hard pill to swallow because I personally have been seeking a more feminine spiritual representation outside of the patriarchal masculine. Our community is, is, uh, is heavily influenced by Christianity. We have churches on every corner, mm-hmm. right? And so we see, if you've grown up here, which I I grew up here, we see only the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary, according to the iconography that are in our churches, that's, that's in our translations of our Bibles. And the images are always of a white woman who is veiled and clothed and pure. And then, of course, Jesus, who's also a white man. (laughs) You know, I mean, like we just visually... I grew up never seeing anything outside of this. And, and, and now as I'm older and I'm trying to reach around and search for some different representations of feminine spirituality, I mean, I see so much is missing when we don't acknowledge when she addresses this with Mary Daly, when Mary Daly didn't acknowledge all of the beautiful African goddesses. And we don't see that dark mother, that dark woman, that that for Audre Lorde is rooted in the earth, that's rooted in what it means to be a woman in our creativity, in our sexuality, that is intimately connected with our spirituality. Yeah, I think that was a great introduction to both the problems we face with it down here and also kind of Audre Lorde's connection to the mother. I think... Even, you know, the the European goddesses that we sometimes refer to, like I know we talked about some of them in a recent panel discussion we did, they are probably based on the their earlier precursors, which are these African goddesses. 
that we would just never know about for the same reason we don't know about a lot of history that doesn't have to do with white people is just the system in which we grew up. Our history books are very European and they're very white. And this area is very Catholic and, and it's male. very Christian and male. Yes. yes. And male. And yeah, I grew up down here and I went to Catholic school and I had the white Mary and the white Jesus in my classroom. And, and I never thought that that was just not how it was. I thought Jesus had blue eyes. But I, I think that that element of Christianity and of the Virgin Mary was still an important part of Audre Lorde's relationship with the concept of the mother. I think the, she talks about her mother coming from a colonized island in the Caribbean, kind of practiced this mix of Catholicism and a more spiritual religion. She didn't outright call it voodoo in the article I read, but there's definitely elements of um, you know, oils and fingernail clippings and pulling your hair from the comb for for healing purposes. So there's kind of elements of that Caribbean spiritual mysticism combined with the Catholicism that came to the island from being colonized. And because of that, Audrey Lord would grow up saying the Lord's Prayer, and she had a votive candle of the Virgin Mary in her childhood bedroom. And she talks about the first time she was intimate with with a girl when they were both young girls, it was by the light, the candlelight of her Virgin Mary candle. And so I think that and her complicated relationship with her own mother and the importance of her role as a black lesbian mother to her own children are all very important, but I think they stem back to this kind of primal relationship with um, the black mother or Afrikiti, Afrikete, depending on how you pronounce it, to, who was a very important figure to her. And I think having a feminine representation of spirituality that is connected with the earth, that's important. And that is lacking in many women's upbringing. And I think that that's something that she's talking about reclaiming for herself it isn't just having something to sit on your table and to worship. It's really an embodiment of what that, that goddess represents. For her, the roots of her African ancestry, it's important because, you know, there's a loss there. There is a real loss when you lose the feminine archetype, spiritual archetype, for many different reasons. Of course, one, Mary being a pious virgin. She's not even really human in that sense. She has no sexuality whatsoever. We've robbed her of that. So when Audre Lorde writes uses of the erotic, erotica as power, again, that is a reclamation of our power as women, our sexuality, and that connection that we feel with our spiritual being, that they're not, they're not separate. They're a part of a whole our creativity, the way that we speak, the way that we move through the world, it's all connected and it's all influenced. And so I just think that that's really beautiful. I think for myself, I am looking for more of those kinds of uh, representations of something other than just the stark, white, pious Virgin Mary. I think many of us are looking for that. That's the whole goddess revolution. But in this community in particular, I find myself oftentimes in public spaces where that is not even an option for women, that that is, they're still stuck in this masculine, male, patriarchal spirituality. And we're going to be talking a lot more about this with some of our other book club members who are Christian feminists. So I don't really want to speak too much on that because I don't have any authority in that, but I do want to have these conversations with women about how they reconcile those things. Yeah, I'm curious to hear their answers too. I know... Growing up Catholic, there is no connection to the goddess, or there is no connection even to someone like the Virgin Mary, who is an icon up on the wall that that is the Virgin Mother. That is an unattainable ideal. And so, yeah, I think at the end of her text, Zami, which is not part of this, but heavily features uh, Aphrodite, the goddess, at the end of the book, she reconnects with her in um, a spiritual and sexual way. Uh, to regain her connection to her motherland, Africa. And because of that, she's able to heal from her s historical traumas of slavery and colonization. And I read an interesting paper on this, and I'm just going to read a quick quote, but she, the, the woman who's kind of a Lord expert said, Can you give her the author's name? Yes, it is Cassie Promo Steele. 
and the paper was called Drawing Strength from Our Mothers, Tapping the Roots of Black Women's History. But her quote was, To claim one's being as both sexual and spiritual is to refuse the limited choice of either whore or virgin, either Jezebel or Mammy, either body or spirit. To claim one's being as both sexual and spiritual also means refusing to tie oneself to a traumatic past. In showing how the erotic is both sexual and spiritual power that has been kept from women, Lord encourages women to heal this split, to reclaim this power, and to move beyond mere surviving to living and thriving as whole and healthy, spiritual and sexual, creative and powerful women. And I think to me that just sums up the importance of the Black mother and the African goddess and is just such a complete 180 from the kind of faith I grew up with to be able to reach out and touch this goddess in a really primal way that heals me versus looking at someone like the Virgin Mary and feeling shame. So I thought that was really interesting. Definitely. And to continue kind of segueing into her discussion about the erotic as power, we really talked a lot about this reclamation of our spiritual sexual selves, our creative selves, when we went, when we discussed Clarissa Pinkola Estes' book, Women Who Run With the Wolves. Again, Audre Lorde is kind of in that same space where what she meets by the erotic, of course, is not the patriarchal porn industry. She means something very different. Audrey Lord's perspective when she's talking about these things is still that there is there is a feminine force that is powerful that we can access and from that space create joy in our lives. Our erotic power is meant to be joyful and not oppressive. It's meant to be a spark for creation, not shameful. And I know we've brought this up a lot of times in our book discussions, and there are women who don't necessarily a identify with femininity. And so we want to really be kind of careful with essentializing femininity because that's been a problem that some women have expressed. And Yeah, well, I mean, to touch on the first part of what you're saying, I think that there can be an essential feminine, just as a concept, there can be an essential feminine within us that has nothing to do with an outward display of our gender expression, that has nothing to do with what you traditionally might think of as femininity. I mean, Audre Lorde wasn't especially feminine in her appearance or the way she presented herself, but yet she's quintessentially feminine in her ideas. So that's kind of an interesting concept, I think. And I think it's especially relevant today, as you said, where we're recognizing that gender is not so black and white, but rather a spectrum on which we can exist. And so what what feminism might look like to you is different from what it might look like to someone else, but you can both still have that kind of quintessential feminine within you. But yeah, I think Audre Lorde talks about how being in tune with your body, so being able to understand yourself on a mo on the most, you know, kind of baseline, sensual, sexual level. Um, and it doesn't even have to be sexual, but just being able to understand yourself on a really sensual level is powerful. And how can you tap into your full creativity if you deny that part of yourself that is so primal and is such, you know, kind of a baseline primal part of your being? That's an interesting question because I, I immediately think, well, what about women who have been traumatized sexually? Does that mean that they are not tapped into their creativity? So I don't know. I mean, that's a lot to put on um, something that some women probably have a might have a lot of trauma around. And so, hmm, you know, I as a woman, I want to say, yes, reclaim our sexuality, our femininity. But on the other hand, I would still want to question like, OK, well, what do we do if we don't really identify that fully as feminine, as you said? And then also then if we have trauma around our sexual ex our sexuality, how then do we embrace that sexuality and deal with our trauma? I don't, I don't know the answer to these questions because <laughs> they're just questions. I think that's a great point. And I think that in my experience, I've, I've talked to women a lot more in the past nine months than I, <laughs> than I have in a long time. Um, which has been great and relevatory. And I think 
through these discussions, I've realized that it's sadly really common for women to have sexual trauma that could be a block from kind of reaching this this very free-flowing, creative relationship with themselves and their own sexuality. And I think that Audre Lorde went through some of that too. You know, she talked about reconnecting with Afrikati as a way to heal trauma that she had been through. And through that healing, she was able to rediscover what it meant to be a sensual, sexual person. And she was able to find power through the erotic. And so, yeah, I mean, I would hope that women that have experienced that trauma don't feel excluded from the conversation when we talk about the erotic as power, but rather just see it as a way to heal. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that making the distinction between the erotic and the porn industry is interesting too, because she definitely makes a distinction between the two, seeing the porn industry as an arm of capitalism and patriarchy versus erotic sexual sensuality as being something that is outside of that. Well, Audre Lorde does make a very clear distinction of the kind of sexuality and erotic power that I am talking about is not the kind of lewd pornography, sexuality or sensuality that that is exists as part of kind of a capitalistic, like we're producing this kind of smut for money or whatever. And these are not my opinions. I'm just kind of summing up. Um, the vibe I got when I read that story. And I know our book club even has had disagreements on this, but I'm going to let you clarify for me. Well, given her time, perhaps before there's been any conscious effort to make women for porn. Porn for women. Or, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 porn for women. I think that she's really speaking about porn as an industry. And as any other industry, it is co-opting something for the sake of making a profit off of that. So in this sense, co-opting sexuality for profit and what has happened as a result of that. Yes. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that that is the distinction she's making. But I still really struggle with this, especially because in essentially all other areas, she was very progressive. And I I have a personal block when I see women. And I guess when Audre Lorde wrote this story, the porn industry was way less sex positive and woman positive than it is yeah. now. And so I guess I have to offer myself that perspective. But it just seems to me that it's like as progressive women, as progressive feminist, as someone like Audre Lorde, who's like a trailblazer in being progressive, it's almost like, let women enjoy things except porn. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, let let women do whatever they want unless it is engaging in, like, in watching porn or getting off to porn or enjoying, you know, imagery that might be considered pornographic. And are there problems with the porn industry? Absolutely. And it, just to bring it back to kind of an intersectional viewpoint, there's absolutely uh, the fetishizing of, minority women going on and women that come from lower socioeconomic classes, regardless of race, are probably more likely to get caught up in exploitative sex work. So that's something to consider, too. I just think that sexuality and sensuality and the erotic and, you know, the inclination that you might have as a woman to watch and enjoy porn all kind of go hand in hand. I don't think there has to be a distinction an either or. Well, I think it's really helpful that porn, the porn industry becomes more conscious and aware and offers women, first of all, uh, some disclosure. If we know what we're watching. We know that it's been uh, produced in a way that isn't involved in human trafficking or exploitation of young girls or minorities or, you know, all of these things that we should care about. If that is where the porn industry, the next step that it's taking, that's great because we can be sex positive. We can be all about the erotic, but we can't do it and not be aware that there is exploitation involved when we talk about it as an industry. 
So moving towards more consciously developed and produced porn, porn made by women for women, those kinds of things are positive steps that I think that we are seeing now in the porn industry. But I think that is, is, a, is a result of women taking a stance and saying, hey, wait a minute, we can't continue to present only one side of sexuality, which is patriarchal, which is masculine. What about this other side of sexuality? Because for many of us, this is a generational difference. I grew up probably in the era which, in which she's speaking about. There were not options for women to see something other than the male gaze and male sexuality through porn. Women in my generation to grow up and develop our sexuality based on male desire and the male gaze is very different from maybe young women who are, are now maturing sexually with some other options, right? Yeah. And that's something we noticed when we had these discussions is that there were different generations in the room and there's like very, there a very clear distinction between the younger women and the older women, what their attitudes were towards it. And I know we had just touched on healing from sexual trauma and, you know, it is very much a voiced opinion, not just and the women I'm talking to locally, but in conversations I'm part of online, that young women are using porn as a way to reclaim their power and as a way to kind of process their sexual trauma. And I say more power to them. And I think that I am acknowledging the difference between us <laughs> when I do that. Oh, yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that difference. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, and and that's part of I think kind of what Audre Lorde is calling on us to do is like, yeah, our opinions are not always going to be the same. We might have a sex worker. I know. And I will say that after having you in the group and hearing more young people in your generation talk about that, I have done more exploration of porn sites and things like that, especially porn sites for women. And I am seeing a lot of changes. I'm seeing women's sexual experiences being fully represented where a woman's Pleasure is priority, where there's more time taken for that, where men are looking and gazing and sensually touching women. And there's just a broader sensuality that I guess I wasn't seeing before because I wasn't really looking for. And that's why I say that I think like if the porn is moving in, if the porn industry is moving in this direction, and like with anything, when women get on board and women start to represent a woman's experience, then we do see. Uh, what it is that we want to see reflected back. Because really, I think what we ultimately want to see is our own desires and experiences reflected back at us rather than constantly seeing this dominating patriarchal male experience reflected back at us constantly and then defining ourselves against that. That's where I've always bumped up against the porn industry in that sense. And I think this might be a really nice segue into kind of talking about some of the ideas under her speech. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Because in this idea, she's really talking about developing new tools outside of the patriarchal system, right? And when women come together, we are essentially creating, quote, new patterns of relating across difference. And that means doing things in a different way. That means forging new, new ways of being, new ways of speaking, new ways of expressing, new ways of writing that are reflective of our experiences. And I think that's really important. I mean, that's another, I guess, maybe one of the final points that I really want to talk about before we close is she basically looks at feminism as the next step in human evolution. And I think that's important because as we, as we talk about our collective problems as being oppressed by patriarchy and capitalism and the ways in which things have just always been done, we are then creating new ways that are not only more inclusive for women and women of, women of color, women of different class, women of, of, of different ages, that we are essentially creating a better humanity. I mean, that's what's really important and valuable about intersectionality and intersectional feminism is that as we begin to address all of these different issues on all of these different levels, and I miss sexuality in, this, in that last statement, but as we um, identify all of these different ways in which people 
are oppressed and we forge new ways to do things. Yeah, I think in in simple terms, her kind of call to action is remove the distrust that comes with difference so that we can understand each other better. And in that process of understanding each other and, um, you know, desiring and needing to know more about each other, that our real power is discovered. And I th- she says that in a quote. She says, for women, the need and desire to nurture each other is not pathological but redemptive. And it is within that knowledge that our real power is rediscovered. It is the real connection that is so feared by the patriarchal world. And she calls us to stop dividing and conquering, but instead define and empower. And so in this process of getting to know our neighbors in a really simple, simple way to put it, we can break down those walls and we can create new paths in which we make space for each other. And I think you know, the biggest, the biggest part of that is removing the distrust and the fear that we fear, the, the fear that we feel when encountering people that are different from us. So maybe that's a good stopping point for us. Any final thoughts about this? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we could talk all day, <laughs> we could. but I, we're going to save some of it for the book club. But I'm really interested. I mean, this is a hard topic to discuss. I've been sweating bullets over here and I've been I've stopped a few times and groaned because this is a hard conversation to have. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're not the experts in the room. We're just trying to figure it all out. And so, you know, if you have listened to this and had your own thoughts, whether just to contribute to the conversation or to call out something that you maybe don't think was the best way to phrase something. I'd love to hear it. I think feedback is important on this. And as I said, we don't want to be an echo chamber. You know, we really welcome other people's opinions. So we're on Facebook. If you want to engage with us that way, Lee, do you have other channels you'd recommend? Uh, yes, we we are on Facebook. We have a private Facebook book club group that you can join that is where we really talk about the books in our community online, and we share a lot of information. You can email us privately at femsouthgmail.com. Uh, you can go onto our website and subscribe to our newsletter in which you can stay up to date on of our new podcast episode releases and anything else that we're doing in the community, like some of the events that we host. And then, of course, you please go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, and rate us. Thank you, Jillian, for joining me today to talk about this. I'm so excited. Our first episode together. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, too. And I maybe I'm hoping the first one's the hardest. So it'll be more smooth sailing from here on out. But yeah, this has been great. And it just feels good to be a part of this really necessary conversation. Okay. until next time, you're listening to Fem Fem South. South.